now we're going to back away and look at it more from a telescope and uh, try to see it from a distance for what it is. First John chapter 5, once you found that, if you would stand for the reading of God's Word. One verse tonight, the last verse, and then we will be going through uh, the entire book uh, as we uh, look at it with this in context. Verse number 21 says this, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. That's the verse. Keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, help us to understand the, the, uh, this verse and this truth, and maybe even in a new light. And Lord, as we look at uh, sort of a test for ourselves on whether or not we individually struggle with idolatry, would you help us uh, to have clarity? And Lord, um, be with the remainder of our service in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Idolatry has been and will always be a major temptation for church-age saints. These churches were warned about it in the New Testament. Corinth, Ephesus, Galatia, uh, Thessalonica, Colossae, and Pergamos in Revelation 2 and 3. When we think of idolatry, what we generally think is we think of people who are bowing down and worshiping a piece of stone or wood. Most Christians that I know do not struggle with this version of idolatry, but they struggle all the same. They struggle all the same. Uh, I don't know that very many of you have uh, some sort of uh, secret, um, is it effigy, is that the right word? Secret um, piece of stone in your closet with purple lights and shine down on it, and when no one's looking, you open the closet doors and you get down on your face. I don't think too many of you are doing that. If so, knock it off. You need to stop that. What is idolatry? What is idolatry? Well, idolatry um, in, in the Bible is described as the act of worshiping or revering anything or anyone ahead of God. Uh, let me repeat that definition. The act of worshiping or revering anything or anyone ahead of God. Here are some idols that church-age saints are tempted to worship. And I think I have been tempted with every one of these and succumbed to many of them. And I think if we're honest tonight, we all uh, could put ourselves in that boat. The God of leisure, the God of pleasure, the God of uh, sexual looseness or sexual promiscuity, the God of money, the God of material items, the God of self-worship, also known as humanism. I strongly believe that the reason why people in ancient cultures bowed down and worshipped a piece of stone or wood was because there was a demonic force that was charging that object, a demonic force that was being worshipped. It was never about a piece of stone. It was never about a piece of wood. There was something behind that, uh, that, that item, something behind that idol that was being worshipped, and I believe that force was demonic in nature. Uh, let me lay the case out for you for that this evening and show you how those same forces are still being worshipped by people who call themselves the children of God today, alright? Uh, uh, there are many idols in the Bible, but three that maybe uh, rise to the top when we think of uh, of. of being infamous in title. Uh, the first one I have down here is the idol of Baal. The idol of Baal. Baal was the god of fertility as it pertained to the soil of the earth. You may remember that Baal worship was a big deal when Ahab was king uh, in, the, in the ten tribes there. And you may remember that Elijah walked in to the palace there where Ahab and Jezebel reigned and told them that it was not going to rain for three years. Why was that important? Because if Baal was all he claimed to be, then uh, Baal would be able to bring the rain and have the ground be fertile. But because the rain stopped, everyone was shown that Baal was not as strong as they believed. Baal was the god of fertility as it pertained to the soil and the earth. And then you have uh, Asheroth or Asherah, depending on the source there. Asherah was the goddess of fertility as it pertained to human sexuality. The image of Asherah or 
Ashtaroth is that of a woman who is who is uh, 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 not wearing any clothes, and uh, she represents a sexuality of the time. The priests and priestesses of Asherah uh, were prostitutes, male and female prostitutes, and the temples that existed were meant to be nothing more than what we would label a modern day brothel. Uh, and then you have the, uh, the the false god or the uh, idol of Molech. Molech was the god of child sacrifice. Molech was made uh, out of brass and stone, and they would light a fire in the lap of Molech, and the hands would be held out above, and those hands would glow hot, and they would place a baby inside those hands, and they would commit infanticide with those babies, and uh, they worshipped the god Molech, and that was a, uh, I believe, a demonic force behind Baal, a demonic force behind Asherah, a demonic force behind Molech. These people were not just bowing down to a piece of carved out uh, wood or chiseled out stone. No, they were worshipping something far darker behind it. Let's not forget that Satan is the prince and power of the air. Kingdoms come and kingdoms go, but Satan's kingdom has outlasted them all. Now, when the Greeks and Romans took over, the gods and goddesses changed names, but the demonic forces remained the same. And you may know a little bit about Greek mythology or uh, Roman mythology. You may know about some of the, uh, the, 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 the various gods that existed. And what you find as you study a Greek mythology and the Greek gods is that many of the ancient uh, idols that were worshipped and the ancient gods that were worshipped, those same forces uh, did nothing but hide behind a Greek god, a, 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 a Greek uh, a, a Greek force uh, with a Greek name, but the same demonic force remained the same. Today, those same idols still get worshipped. In our Western culture, they have taken a new form. How about Baal? Baal. And by the way, these are just three examples. Uh, you could go through and study other um, uh, idols that were worshipped and gods that were worshipped. How about Baal? Baal, uh, again, fertility of the earth. Fertility of the earth. You know what you would call a person who worships Baal in the 21st century? You would call them an environmentalist. Are they not worshiping planet earth? You see how that the God of Baal that existed in the Bible times is not called Baal anymore. In fact, we don't bow down to a piece of stone or a piece of wood. But instead, people hug trees. And listen, I'm all for taking care of the planet. I don't think that we should go out of our way to damage the the earth. Uh, We are to be good stewards of planet earth. We are to look after the planet. But we are to understand that God gave us this planet to live on and enjoy. We're not to worship the creation. We're to worship the Creator. Baal lives on in the form of folks who are environmentalists. But not only does it live on in the form of environmentalists, they weren't just worshipping a fertile earth. They were worshipping the fruits and the money made from that fertile earth. And so what else is worshipped in in the 21st century in our Western culture? It isn't just the environmentalists. This one hits home with Christians. It's also the person who struggles with materialism. Not just environmentalism, but materialism. What was it they were so excited about when they had a, 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 a ripe earth and they had a great fertile soil that brought them great fruits and vegetables? They looked forward to that harvest and the money that was made off of that harvest. Today, Christians love to make their money. Uh, humans love to buy things with their money. And it's things, things, things. Americans have so many things that storage units are getting built Everywhere. If you notice over next to BJ's in Stratford, they're building another indoor storage unit. Why? So people can take their stuff and they can't uh, fit in their garage or their basement anymore. They rent a storage unit and they put it there. More stuff and more stuff and more stuff. Nothing wrong with having things. There is something wrong with worshiping things. How about Asherah? Asherah. Again, we said that Asherah uh, was the goddess of of fertile sexuality. How is Asherah alive and well in the 21st century? Well, how about prostitution? 
How about sexual looseness and um, uh, fornication and living with each other outside of marriage and uh, the unnatural affection of two men or two women? Uh, the Bible says that it's unseemly. The Bible says it's abominable. The Bible says it's disgusting and it's wrong. How about um, how about this one? Maybe in quantity, this one is the the worst in America. How about uh, pornography? Pornography and all of the consumption of pornography. It used to be that pornography was a problem that just men struggled with. And uh, now today there are plenty of women who are hooked on pornography. Maybe not visual pornography, but romance novels that are erotic in nature. And we have a problem with a society at large that worships sex. They worship the sex act and they worship the same God that was bowed down to in the form of Asherah. How about Molech? Molech, the offering up of children to a strange fire. Well, have you ever heard of Planned Parenthood? Have you ever looked at abortion clinics in the abortion industry? Folks, babies are being murdered by the millions in this country. And I didn't say fetuses, I said babies. And it's wrong. I'm not here to, today to, to bash someone who struggles with uh, unnatural affection. I'm not here this evening to put someone down or make someone feel guilty who has had an abortion or is considering an abortion. But I am saying this, culturally, as a, as a Western culture, we struggle with idolatry just as much today as they did back in the Bible time. Idolatry is alive and well today. And this isn't even touching religious structured idolatry where people walk into what they call an auditorium or a sanctuary or a quote-unquote church building and they bow down to idols and they worship idols. And I believe that Satan is even behind that. Take your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter number 10. Uh, Now that we've had a history lesson on idols and idolatry, let us consider the stern warning the early church was given to stay away from it. Idolatry is not just something that went on in the Old Testament. Idolatry is not just something that the heathen struggle with in the church age. No, idolatry is something that the church, the church was sternly warned to stay away from because God knew the temptation that church age saints would have with it. Look at verse number 7 of 1 Corinthians 10. The Bible says, Neither be ye idolaters, as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed, and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye, some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now, all these things happen upon them for samples, and they are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. Now, this passage began talking about idolatry. Look at verse 14. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. I draw the conclusion that all of those sins between verse 7 and verse 14 are sandwiched with idolatry. The bread of this passage is a stern warning against idolatry and everything in between uh, the, the, the bread here are the ways that Christians can commit idolatry. Turn over to Galatians chapter number 5. Galatians chapter number 5. At White Oak Baptist Church, we lace everything with the Bible. We hold the Scripture high. We let the Scripture do the preaching. Look at Galatians chapter 5 and look at verse number 19. The Bible says, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. These are the works of the flesh, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, idolatry, uh, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies. Galatians 5 tells us that one of the works of our flesh, which I battle with every day and you battle with every day, one of the works is idolatry. Turn over to Ephesians chapter number 5. 
Ephesians chapter 5. I try to put these in order for you. Ephesians chapter 5, and look with me at uh, verse number 5. The Bible says, For this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, uh, who is an idolater. More about that in a few minutes here. Notice there, the Bible says that a covetous man is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, but uh, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. One more by way of introduction. Turn over to Colossians chapter 3. Verse 5. Colossians 3, verse 5. Now, don't forget, Ephesians tells us that an idolater is a covetous man or a covetous woman, wanting something that we should not have, wanting something that we cannot have, uh, wanting something that God does not want us to have. Uh, That is covetousness. And the Bible says here that covetousness is uh, idolatry. Look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. The Bible says, Mortify, therefore, your members, which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Now, I don't know that verse 5 is saying that covetousness alone is idolatry, or if all of the things in this list are idolatrous. But one thing is for certain, covetousness is idolatry. I propose this evening unless, that unless you were saved at a very young age and taught to love God from the ground up, then you uh, were probably saved out of some form of idol worship. Some form of idol worship. Now again, uh, keep in context. I'm not talking about bowing down uh, to a stone or bowing down to a piece of wood. I'm talking about idol worship in the sense that we discussed it this evening by way of introduction. Many of those who were saved, who are saved, still dabble in and struggle with idolatry. What most fail to realize is that they are fooling around with the occult. They are fooling around with the occult. John finishes his first epistle with a final verse, which is meant to sum up the entire book. In essence, he is saying... If you will follow what I have just laid out for you, then you will keep yourself from idolatry. That is brilliant. Brilliant. The reader of the epistles, uh, the readers of the epistle have spent time dissecting the book every way possible, the way we have over the last year. Now, uh, but now let's reread the letter with this thought in mind. Uh, how can these truths keep me Uh, Keep my worship on God and God alone. How can these truths help me to walk with God instead of worship idols? How can uh, the principles laid out in 1 John help my worship to be true to God and God alone? Let's take that thought and run with it. Let's consider three main truths out of the book of 1 John as we consider this question, Am I walking with God? Or am I worshiping idols? Am I walking with God? Or am I worshiping idols? All right, before I give you the first point, a couple of things here. First thing I want to say to you uh, is, is this. You remember in Matthew 5 where Jesus said, You cannot serve God and mammon. You're either going to love the one or hate the other. You can't have it both ways. You remember that? All right, now listen. You cannot worship God and worship idols. You can't do both at the same time. Alright? Someone who worships multiple gods is called a polytheist. A polytheist. Poly means many or more than one. Someone who worships one god is called a monotheist. Mono meaning one. Alright? Look, Christian, we believe in that, that there is only one god. But is our affection going to God and God alone? That's the question we have to consider this evening. Or are we busy worshiping these other gods? Uh, All right, let's jump in here. Number one, notice the path I'm taking. The path I'm taking. I want all of us this evening to look at a a contrast. The book of 1 John is a book full of tensions. Tensions. You have light and darkness. You have love and hatred. Uh, you have walking in the light. You have wandering in the darkness, right? You have all of these tensions that take place 
in the book of 1 John. And what we gather from this final sentence, this summary sentence, is that one tension uh, leads us to worship God, and the other side of the tension leads us to worship idols. All right, letter A, notice, a bright path versus a blind path. A bright path versus a blind path. All right, turn over to 1 John chapter 1. We're going to be in 1 John, I believe, the rest of the message this evening. 1 John chapter 1, and let's look at verse number 5 uh, here. The Bible says, This then is the message which we heard of him, and declare unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is in us. Now, again, this is uh, these verses are talking about someone who is walking on a lit a, a path that is enlightened, a path that is bright, a path that is visible, a path that is uh, uh, made that way by the word of God and dwelling in unity with God and in unity with our siblings in Christ. A blind path, a blind path, a darkened path are those who walk around in spiritual dark They claim to have a walk with God. They talk about having a walk with God. They give off the appearance that they spend time with God. But inside, they really walk a dark path because all of that is nothing more than a hypocritical facade. They walk a blind path, a telltale sign of someone who is worshiping an idol in their heart. Let her be noticed, pure versus profane, pure Verses profane. Uh, look down at First John chapter three and verse number ten. First John chapter three and look at verse number ten. The Bible says, "In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness, notice the profane here, doeth not righteousness is not of God. Neither he that loveth, uh, neither he that loveth not his brother." For this is the message that ye heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Look at the profane here, verse 12. Not as Cain, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. Boy, we see Abel who was pure. His worship of God was genuine. But not Cain. Not Cain. What do we find in Cain? We found that Cain worshipped the earth. You know what Cain was? Cain was the first worshipper of Baal. He worshipped the fertility of the earth. And you know what Cain was also doing? He was worshipping himself. Because he said, look at the fruits of my hands. And God said to him, Cain, your worship is profane. Your brother's worship is pure, because he has done what I have commanded. Cain, sin lieth at the door. Hey, I'm going to send a lamb right to your door. You take that lamb and you be obedient. But no, Cain had bought into idol worship. Cain was not going to turn from idol worship. The path I'm taking... The path I'm taking. Are you walking down a bright path or a blind path? Are you walking uh, purely before the Lord or profane before the Lord? Let her see. Notice overcoming the world versus obsessed by the world. Overcoming the world versus obsessed by the world. Look at First John chapter 5 and look at verse number 3. First John chapter 5 and look at verse number 3. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. We value them, we treasure them, we guard them, we keep them. And His commandments are not grievous. And uh, for whosoever is born of God, look here, overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. 
I, I don't just believe that Jesus is the Son of God for salvation. One person put it this way. The gospel, when it comes to uh, the Christian life, the gospel is not just the diving board. The gospel is the swimming pool. We don't just jump off the diving board of the gospel to get saved. It's not just the jumping on point. No, the gospel is the entire swimming pool. We jump into the gospel of Jesus Christ. And by faith, we live our life. And by faith, we overcome the temptations, the idol worship, the struggles of the world. Uh, but the path I'm taking, am I working to overcome the world? Am I swimming against the, the cultural tides or am I obsessed with the world? Look at 1 John chapter 2 in contrast to 1 John 5. 1 John 5 talks about one that overcomes the world. 1 John 2 talks about one that is obsessed with the world. Look at 1 John 2 verse 15. Love not the world. This is someone who's obsessed with the world. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust desires, the wants thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. All right, so we see here two very different paths. We see a path that takes us to worship, and we see a path that takes us uh, to walking with idols. Uh, walking with God, rather, we see a path that takes us to walking with God, and a path that takes us to worshiping idols. And I want each of us this evening to be honest with ourselves. I want to hold the flashlight of the Scriptures up this evening and shine them into your heart. And I want you to take a good, long, hard look at yourself, and I want you to ask yourself this question, what path am I on? Uh, or am I on the path that is bright, or am I walking uh, the path uh, that is uh, blind? Uh, is your path bright? Are you walking in the light of the Bible? Do you feast on God's Word every day? Are you uh, soaking up the Scriptures? Uh, is your life pure? Not only is your path bright, but is your life pure? Are you in, uh, avoiding sinful habits? Are you staying away from people who would be sinful friends? Are you overcoming the world? Do you find yourself having less and less and less and less in common with the culture at large. I look at the culture at large and I have to tell you that I just don't want to have anything to do with it. You know, a new movie comes out and I see the preview for it and the further I get away from the world and the more I want to become like the Lord, the less desire I have to keep up with the movie industry and the filth it has to sell us. Boy, the, the closer I get with the Lord, and the more I want to be like Him, the less I care about uh, who the top singers are and the songs they put out and the music of the world. The closer I get to the Lord and the more I overcome the world and the less I seem to care about what the world has to sell. Boy, I don't care about uh, the sitcoms and uh, the competition shows that come on TV because I want to overcome the world, not be obsessed by the world. Now, if you would say, Pastor, yes, absolutely, I, well, I walk a bright path, and I live a life that's not perfect, but attempts to be pure, and Pastor, absolutely, my heart is to overcome the world, and I, I, I strive, and I can look over my shoulder over the last six months, year, and see where I'm uh, less and less interested in the world, I would tell you that you're walking the right path, you're walking the path uh, toward, uh, toward being close with God, and you are avoiding idol worship, however... However, if you find yourself stumbling around in the dark, meaning you feel directionless, if your life is filled with sinful habits and you seem to enjoy the music, movies, and culture of the world, uh, then you, my friend, uh, then my friend, it's time to face reality. You are walking the path of idolatry. You are struggling as an idolater. Now, I don't say that as a demeaning way. I told a, uh, I, I got into a long discussion with someone who has a different ministry philosophy than I do, and one I believe they, they uh, ministry philosophy I believe is dangerous, and uh, they were upset with our roundtable discussion, the last one that Pastor Morales and I had, uh, because we talked about the sin of sodomy at large, 
but we wouldn't straight up call someone a sodomite. And I said to the person who disagreed with, uh, uh, with the presentation, I said to them, what good does it do to call someone a name? What good does it do? You know what that does? It isolates people. It pushes them away. It causes them to not want you to have any influence over them. We'll let God do the name labeling. We're going to help people. There's nothing wrong with me getting up here and preaching against drunkenness. But what good does it do to stick my finger in someone's face and say, You're a drunk! Tonight I don't tell you that you are an idolater to call you a name. I don't say that in a way that's condemning and unkind. At least that's not my intent. Boy, I want you to draw a conclusion tonight. Are you flirting with idolatry or are you full with the Spirit and walking with the Lord? The path I'm taking. Number two, notice, the person I'm following. The person I'm following. Boy, how can you tell whether or not you are walking with God or worshiping idols? Well, begin by looking at the path that you're walking the path that you're taking. You say, well, pastor, that one's a check for me. I'm taking the right path. Well, next, ask yourself this question. Who am I following? Letter A, notice, abiding in Christ versus abiding in covetousness. Abiding in Christ versus abiding in covetousness. Look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 24 with me. 1 John chapter 2, verse number 24. The Bible says, Let that therefore abide in you, which ye have read from the beginning, and that which ye have heard from the beginning uh, shall remain in you. Ye also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. Boy, this is, this is enjoyable that we would get to remain with. Continue in the Son. Continue in the Father. And this is the promise that He hath promised us even eternal life. Let me just pause there and say that when I, when I walk with the Lord, I am walking in the path of life. And when I worship idols, I am walking down the path of death. You all understand that this evening? Walking with the Lord, the Lord gives life. Satan is the leader. He's the prince and power of the air. And he he dangles a little G-God in front of us to keep us from spending time with abiding in Christ. Look at verse 25. And this is the promise that He hath promised us, even eternal life, that uh, these things have I written unto you uh, concerning them that seduce you. But the anointing which ye have received of Him, speaking of the Spirit of God, abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same uh, anointing teacheth you of all things, and is true, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, abide in Christ, that when he, Christ, shall appear, we may have confidence, and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If ye know that he, Christ, is righteous, ye know that every one that doeth righteousness is born of him. You know, as I, as I abide in Christ, what begins to happen is I begin to take on the attributes of Christ. We talked about closeness this morning and spending time with the Father. You know what Jesus said in John chapter 5? He said, everything I do has been instructed of me by the Father. He said, I and my Father, in John 10 verse 30, are one. That closeness. And as I abide in Christ... As I'm following Christ, as I'm enjoying a relationship with Christ, boy, I begin to behave and act like and imitate and mimic, not in a mocking way, in a positive way. I begin to do these things of my Savior. Abiding in Christ versus abiding in covetousness. Look with me at uh, Colossians chapter... Well, let me, actually, just let me read it for you. We looked at it earlier. Colossians 3 verse 5 says, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Covetousness. I believe the reason why many Christians find it hard to walk with the Lord is because their time is so filled with covetousness. Let me, let me explain what I mean by that. 
There have been seasons in my life where my heart has been there where I've wanted to read my Bible and pray, but I just haven't done it. And I've sat in a church pew and listened to a preacher preach, and I've been admonished to walk with God. And I have just found that I can't. That I can't. I want to, but I can't. You know why? Because I would sit down to read my Bible, and I would fall asleep. How many of you have ever gotten two, three, four, five verses into your Bible reading, and you're out? You know what I'm talking about? All right? I woke up one time, and it wasn't tears on the Bible. It was drool on the Bible. Okay? There have been times in my life where I've gotten down on my knees to pray or gone for a walk to pray, and my mind is so exhausted from the day, I can't string together a 30-second prayer that makes any sense. I'm just too spent. And you know what I was spent doing? I was spent making money to pay for things that I did not need. I was spent chasing things that were not the Lord. I have been amazed that in my own life, and I'm just sharing from my own experiences here, I've been amazed that in my own life, how I have time for TV, but not the Lord. For some reason, my flesh finds its way in front of a TV. But when it comes to sitting down and reading the Bible, I don't have the energy to do that. You know why, I, you know why I, at times in my life I haven't walked with the Lord? It wasn't that I didn't want to. It's that I could not abide in Christ because I was abiding in covetousness. You know what TV is? Brother Reggie pointed this out to me a few months back. I thought this was very insightful. TV, listen to the terms, all right? It's programming. What are they doing? They're programming us. What What do they call that in between programs? Commercials. They're trying to sell you things. You know what they're trying to sell you? Covetousness. The next time you're in front of a TV and commercials come on, I want you to do something, all right? Anytime sin is advertised, take note. That's a lot of the commercials. Anytime they lie to you in a commercial through the art of exaggeration or whatever it would be, take note. Watch and see the percentage of the commercials that come on TV of what is sold or there, what is it, what what is being advertised to you that you actually need covetousness is what commercials are from beginning to end and by the way what do they call the various um uh, numbers on your tv they call them channels well what's being channeled to our mind you know what's being channeled to our mind oftentimes most of the times a message that really isn't good for the Christian. Boy, I found in my life that oftentimes I'm not abiding in Christ because I'm abiding in covetousness. No, I'm not going down into my room and getting down on my knees and bowing down to a piece of stone or wood, but I'm living in idolatry all the same. Christian, are you abiding in Christ? Are you following Christ? Is that the person you're following, or are you abiding in covetousness? Notice letter B. Spirit-led versus Satan-led. Spirit-led versus Satan-led. Look at 1 John chapter 2, and look at verse number 20. 1 John chapter 2, and verse number 20. The Bible says, But ye have an unction from the Holy One. Notice capital H, capital O. We know Him as the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost here. He's called the Holy One. Ye have an unction or a filling, an anointing from the Holy One, and ye know all things. I have written unto you uh, because ye know the truth. Uh, rather, I, I, have, I have not written unto you because ye know not the truth, but because ye know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist, that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father, 
but he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. Again, look down at verse number 27. But the anointing which ye have received of him, the, the anointing, the Spirit of God which ye have received of him, the, uh, Jesus Christ, abideth in you. The Spirit of God abideth in you. And ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in Him. So, we abide in Christ when we're led by the Spirit. So, Spirit-led, Spirit-led versus Satan-led. Look, uh, look at First John chapter 2, verse number 18. Look at verse 18. Little children, notice the warning here, it is the last time. And as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists. Plural. Whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. Where are these Antichrists? Well, first, what do the Antichrists do? They lead people into idolatry. Where are these Antichrists? John is telling us that they are in the churches. They are in the churches. Boy, you be careful. You be careful about following someone who's leading you astray. Someone who is obsessed with the world. Someone who is pushing the edge with their mouth and pushing the edge with their lifestyle and seems to be uh, 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 laughing at things that are off color or off scripture and they're profane. Someone who seems to talk about how the pastor's just a little too straight laced and those deacons are just a little too uh, holy acting and I bet they're really not that holy in their private life and hey, let's go over here and do this and let's go over there and do that. Boy, those are antichrists that rise up in a church and they lead people astray into idolatry. Spirit-led versus Satan-led. Hey, look, don't you dare be surprised when people come and go through a church. People come and go through a church. Brother Kai, Brother Owens, you two have been in this church a long, long, long time. Several others of you in here have been here a long, long time as well. How many hundreds of people have you seen come for three, four, five, six months and go? Come for three, four, five, six months ago. Hundreds? Thousands maybe? Over the 30 plus years? Definitely hundreds. For sure. You know, people come and they go. They go out from us because they are not of us. You know why many of these people leave? Not all of them, but you know why many of them leave? Because they can't get past idolatry. Someone who walks with God is abiding in Christ. And... They are led by the Spirit. This person worships the King of kings and the God of all gods. Because this person abides in Christ, he or she is insulated from the temptation to worship false ideological gods. Someone who sets their affections on things of the earth instead of heaven above is filled with covetousness. They are led by Satan's system of lies and deceit. They are wrapped up in an idolatrous lifestyle. As they abide in covetousness, they find it very difficult to abide in Christ. I want everyone this evening to stop and ask themselves this question. Am I following the Lord Jesus Christ? Am I led by the Spirit of God? Or is my heart filled with covetousness? And am I following a system... That pleases Satan. Am I spirit-led or indirectly Satan-led? The path I'm taking. Number two, the person I'm following. Number three, notice, the posture I'm displaying. Now, um, I was taught in English class that when you write a good paragraph, that first sentence is the introductory sentence, and that first sentence tells you what the rest of that paragraph is is going to talk about, right? Uh, now, John's writing is very different. I have to tell you, of all of the books that I have studied, verse by verse, both on my own and as a preacher, First John has been the most difficult book to prepare for sermons. It's been difficult, but it has been 
rewarding. And you know, John just does things a little bit backwards. So he took the introductory sentence to the book and he put it at the very end. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. You know what that last verse is? It's the, it's the summary statement of what this entire book is all about. You say, well, pastor, how am I to know if I struggle with idolatry? Now, I just want to remind you before we get into this last point. 1 John 1 talks about those who claim they're walking in the light, but they're really walking in darkness. Listen. Listen now. Some of us are really good at making it sound as though we're something that we're not. You know what? I've been guilty of that in my life. Coming to church and talking and looking and acting like one thing, while in my own heart, I may be not everything I am pretending to be. Has anybody else here ever been guilty of that this evening? Am I alone? Okay? We can claim we walk in the light. The Lord really knows. You say, well, Pastor, I'm still confused if I'm on the right path or I'm following the right person. Well, maybe this third um, uh, point will help you to see if you're on the right path. Letter A, notice, compliant versus contrary. Compliant versus contrary. We looked at closeness this morning when we talked about how Jesus loved the Father. We talked about how close He was to the Father. And then we talked about how obedient or submissive or compliant He was with the Father. How about you and I? Are we compliant or are we contrary? Do we, do we generally obey the following of the Lord and leadership of the Lord or are we contrary to it? Look at verse number 1. Look at verse number 1 of 1 John 2. 1 John 2 verse 1. My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he, Jesus, is the propitiation or the substitute for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. If we are compliant, if we are obedient, if we are submissive to his commandments. He that saith, I know him and keepeth not his commandments, notice the strong language here, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. It is purified. It is matured. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk even as he walked. How many of you here have a job that involves customer service on some level? Would you hold your hand up if you have a job that involves customer service? All right. You have people that you deal with in the customer service world. They're very compliant. Hey, you know what? Whatever it takes, I'm willing to help, right? I, I want to help you. Hey, you know, maybe you're a contractor and there's a setback on a job. And you go to them and you have some people that are very compliant. Okay, yeah, that's fine. Hey, I understand things happen. But then you have other people, they just want to oppose you at every turn, right? I was talking to Brother Varro one time about a job he was doing, and the lady would get down, as they laid out floor, the lady would get down with a ruler and measure to the sixteenth of an inch to see if it came out just the way that she expected it to. No one wants to work under those conditions. That's a contrary type spirit. You know, as a pastor, I see folks who are very compliant, the pastor stands up in church and says, hey, we're going to have this program and we're going to do this to advance the cause of Christ and shine our light abroad in the community. And boy, a whole bunch of you stand up and say, hey, pastor, count me in, I'm game. And others say, no, you know what, I'm not going to get involved with that. One of the telltale signs that you are struggling with idolatry is that your default is to be contrary to the program of the church. The leadership of the church. 
There have been plenty of times when I wasn't the pastor, and the pastor got up and had an idea, and in the back of my head I thought, well, that's not going to work. That's a terrible idea. Where did he come up with that? But you know what my job was? It was not to argue. It was to say, the pastor is the leader. We're going to follow the leader because a mediocre plan with the team behind it is better than a great plan with nobody behind it. Boy, are you a person, uh, maybe you're, you're married. And let me speak to the married women in the room for just a moment. Are you contrary to your husband at home? Do you fight him every turn? And is the, is the default to, to be abrasive and contrary? That's a sign that you probably struggle with some form of Christian idolatry. How about you, sir? Uh, uh, listen, you're not out of the submissive thing. God's called men to be submissive to the Lord and to uh, be submissive to the leadership of the Lord. You read a scripture in the Bible that tells your life, uh, tells you that your lifestyle needs to adjust and your lifestyle needs to change and you bucket that and you fight that. Boy, your wife is watching you. I believe many women struggle with submiss- submitting to their husbands because they're married to a man who's not submitted to the Lord. I just believe that. I believe that deeply. And ladies, I'm not letting you off the hook. If your husband's not submissive you're to, uh, to the Lord, you're to submit anyway. But men, we have to set the example. Are we contrary or are we compliant? Hey, listen, when, um, uh, uh, and one of the reasons why I love Sunday evening church, and I don't see very many families here, and boy, I've pressed for this and pushed this, and I've not, been, I've not had much success with this. Maybe some of the families are watching online at home tonight, and if so, I thank you for that. I'm glad you're engaged in some way. But one of the reasons why it's good for a mom and dad to have their children in the pew on a Sunday night together, one of the reasons why we don't have kids' program on Sunday night, we want everyone in the auditorium, is because I want that seven, eight, nine-year-old boy looking down the pew at dad and seeing dad nod his head up and down, not at a man, but at the scripture. And when the scripture says, hey, this is this in your life is wrong, the dad gets down on his knees and says, Lord, I'm going to submit to you. Sir, it'd be a lot easier to get your children to submit to you if they saw that you were submitting to the Lord. Compliant versus contrary. Pastor says, we're going to have church on Sunday night. And a whole lot of people shrug their shoulders and say, I think we'll stay home. And again, I don't mean to throw stones. I don't mean to name call. But I want to point out the problem in our culture at large. Why aren't more people here on Sunday night? Why aren't more people in church on Sunday morning? Why are some people so inconsistent? Because they struggle with idol worship. Listen, this isn't a stretch, folks. Paul addressed this, the apostles addressed this with six different churches in the New Testament because the Bible, or rather the Lord knew this was going to be a temptation. Letter B, letter B, the posture I'm displaying, loving versus loathing. Loving versus loathing. I I hasten, look at 1 John chapter 2, we're almost done. Look at verse number 9. The Bible says, He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness and walketh in darkness and knoweth not whither he goeth, because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. There's that blind path that he is stumbling down. Now, If you find it hard to forgive a brother or sister in the Lord that has done you wrong, and no matter how contrite they are, no matter how apologetic they are, you just find it hard to love them, the Bible says that you're walking in darkness. You are not walking in the light. You say, but pastor, I read my Bible and I pray and I go to church. I go to this church and I I sit under the preaching and I nod my head up and down. I turn to the passage when I'm ordered to turn to. The Bible is very clear. If you hate your brother, someone who is saved, the Bible is very clear. You walk in darkness. You know what it it ought to be for a Christian? It ought to be easy for a Christian to love, even the unlovable. You know why? Because Christ loved you and you were unlovable. And as I dwell underneath His love, I can't help but love even those who are profane. 
I can't help it. Someone's ugly and mean and nasty toward me. Hey, I'm ugly and mean and nasty toward God on a daily basis with the offensive sin that I offer up to Him. He just keeps on loving me. The posture I'm displaying. Boy, someone who walks with God loves people even when they're difficult to be loved. Someone who worships idols, they struggle with loving those who are unlovable. Loving versus loathing. Let her see, I finish here. Faith-filled versus fear-filled. Faith-filled versus fear-filled. Turn to 1 John chapter 4, verse number 17. And oh boy, this point is applicable for the day in which, in the time in which we live. With all, everything going on in the world today. Look at 1 John 4, verse 17. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as He is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God and hate his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? This commandment have we uh, from him, that he who loveth God loveth his brother also. A church member today, I'll leave this person unnamed, a church member today said to my wife, I don't understand all of the people who are so afraid of the coronavirus. Now, this person's older, one of the older people in our church. This man went on to say, he said, if I catch the coronavirus and it kills me, I'm going to heaven and that's my gain. What are Christians afraid of? Now, those weren't my words, they were his. But to that, I would stand up and I would say, Amen. Amen. I want to take just a moment and address mask wearing one more time. I'm not going to say anything any different than I've said before, but I want to just reiterate this. There is nothing wrong with wearing a mask. In fact, White Oak Baptist Church... I would encourage more of you to wear one on your way in and on your way out. I'm not going to mandate it. I will not do that uh, unless the governor mandates that we wear one. It's not going to happen here. All right? Now listen. If you are wearing a mask because you are afraid, the mask wearing is not a sin, but the fear behind it is. If you are wearing a mask out of consideration of those around you, then that's biblical. That's biblical. You are loving your neighbor. Now, I can't look in your heart and know if you're wearing it because you're afraid or you're wearing it out of love. And I won't judge your heart. I won't judge your heart. But you know and the Lord knows. I see a world today where people are afraid of everything but God. And you know what, my friend? If your posture is contrary, if your posture is that you're quick, you're quick to um, uh, uh, harbor a grudge and, and, and you're slow to forgive, if your posture is that you're afraid, 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 my friend, you have a problem with idolatry. You need to get on your knees and you need to repent. You need to ask the Lord to help you. The path I'm taking, the person I'm following, the posture I'm displaying. Boy, tonight you should have a pretty good idea of whether or not you are walking with the Lord or worshiping idols. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed. Lord, would you put your finger in the hearts of your people and show them where they're being tempted? Spirit of God, I would never want to wrestle away from you your job. You are the one that convicts and draws. I'm just simply to stand and preach the Scripture. Spirit of God, would you convict and show us where we struggle with idolatry? 
Lord, I believe idolatry is prevalent at this church and prevalent in the hearts of the members of this church. Sometimes we're blinded by our own struggle. Through this message this evening and even some heart um, uh, searching, some, some deep uh, heart searching and prayer, Lord, would you show us and help us to rid out these idols from our heart. May we not claim to be monotheist while being practical polytheists. May we not claim to worship you alone while worshiping multiple gods. Help us to worship you and you alone. In Jesus' name.